Hello and welcome to Champions of Psychology, a show with the goal of openly talking about mental health and gaming presented by Codename Entertainment and TakeThis.org. Every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on Twitch.tv slash CNE Games or later on your favorite podcast service, Mitra Jordan and Rafael Bucamazzo, a.k.a. Dr. B, talk about mental health in these unprecedented times as well as how gaming affects us. If you're here with us live in the chat, you can leave a question that I, Trevor Bettis, might ask them later in the show. Uh, but our topic today is play as a form of learning. But before we get to that, Mitra, Dr. B, uh, who, who are you for, for the fine people who may not know? <laughs> um, so I'm Mitra Jordan. I work as a therapist in Victoria, British Columbia, um, and I love using games um, in my work. So I guess that covers it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am Rafael Bocamazzo, uh, a.k.a. Dr. B. I'm the clinical director over at TakeThis.org. And I, uh, I don't, I, I don't see clients anymore. I do nothing but policy and education these days. But I am clinically trained, uh, and um, I'm, I, I do a lot of stuff around tabletop RPGs. So today is just like my jam, talking about play as an adult because I feel like it's my whole career now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it has something to do in there. A little bit, for sure. Just a little bit. A little just bit. A little. Just a teensy bit. And speaking of which, why don't we start off with what we're defining play as here? Sounds good. Yeah, sounds like a great plan. Okay, well, mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not the go-to <laughs> guy on this. You're both looking at me. And I'm just like, I'm just. Not, no, no, no. I, don't, I don't know these things. I, I got dice. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know how to play, which is a big part of it. So I say, Doctor B. This is uh, this, this is, is for me to do. Well, so play, you. play okay. is silliness. I mean, in in and of itself, it is um, a sort of free form expression of an idea and creativity um, that we often do as children, just developmentally. I mean, we so many of us make up games as kids, uh, where uh, we're often practicing social roles, um, or we're just being silly, and we don't do that as adults generally. Yeah, so we're harnessing imagination and creativity and what if to try things out. And most important, to take risks, because um, unless you take risks, you don't learn. So, and, and the risk you're taking is with failure. But if you're playing, you're not really worried about making mistakes and failing, which is why learning is so effective through the lens of play. And kids do this pretty naturally. And as adults, we tend to... Uh, worry more about failure, and sometimes even experience some shame and mortification, which we'll get into. So. <laughs> yeah, something, yes. something. People are judging me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And that really interferes with our ability to not just start playing, but to keep playing. Mm -hmm. Or to decide that play and games are for us, because we may make judgments about, I'm not good at that. And then we kind of disown that part of ourselves. So. Okay. So that that that's what we're mainly talking about here, as far as the play itself, but learning from it. Um, one of the things that we talked about yesterday was uh, challenges in understanding the game. Kind of starting off there, what challenges? Because you you were saying there is like the the embarrassment and whatnot. Is that one of the challenges to come to get over to do the play, or what? What where where are we going with that? Um, so for me, I think um, it comes from that place of um, learning and feeling comfortable with oneself as a person who can engage socially with others 
um, and be safe to take risks and have fun and be silly. And there are a number of things that can really interfere with this. And one of them is how safe do I feel, right, in a group setting, say. So kid starts in kindergarten and then they experience, you know, maybe some judgment from other kids or maybe a little bit of, uh, maybe it's not even bullying, but just a little name calling or something. And then feeling less safe in the environment completely interferes with being able to even play out in the playground or just play imaginative, you know, um, I have a, a, you know, I have a teddy here or a stuffed toy of some sort and you've got yours and they're going to set up a house together and just being able to let go and be in that environment requires feeling safe so from our very littlest selves we can experience challenges to just being able to let go and play spontaneously and it's it's uh, magnified as an adult like one of the one of the things i periodically do is i train uh, clinicians and teachers on the applied use of role-playing games in clinical and learning settings and uh, one part of the model that uh, Dr. Megan Connell and I developed for the application of this stuff relies on this idea that as an adult, you have to be able to just freely engage in play and that you have to be able to model that because it's, it's really interesting to see adults loosen up about this at the gaming table. Because as a, you know, just as an adult, you know, I don't get silly. I don't get, you know, I don't do this sort of thing. But if you've got a DM, GM or whoever who's leading this and they are just getting into the game with wild abandon, you're mm-hmm. creating a safer space to do that. And it's really yeah. cool to watch a group of adults maybe who have never played a role playing game before kind of loosen up with that and get into this idea that I can be safe being completely silly here. And mm-hmm. just try on new things, try on new ways of being like I'm trying, I'm, I'm exchanging hats or exchanging, in my case, vests and ties. <laughs> well, and hats too, but. Yeah, yeah. Can't forget the hats. No, can't forget the hats. Can't um, forget them. <laughs> so the, one of the things, like, I'm not going to name names here, but like, I, I, I have experienced what you guys are talking about with uh, somebody I know where I was trying to teach uh, a group of people D and D, and I was saying like, oh, you know, it it's basically setting up a hypothetical. I'm saying this is the situation you're in. How would you react to it? And one of the people was just like, I don't do hypotheticals. And I'm like, I mean, you just put a hard stop to this. <laughs> like I can't yeah. go anywhere from here. Um, but uh, what do you think? This is actually something that we didn't talk about uh, in our meeting that just kind of popped in my head. What do you think the difference is? for some people between this version of play uh, specifically towards learning, like, you know, um, they, they can get into that different mindset and whatnot versus them playing a video game and being completely fine with getting immersed into that. Like I know people who play role-playing games, like they are obsessed with mass effect, but it, they can't get into a role-playing game at the table. Is it that level of like embarrassment of people seeing you and stuff? Do you think? I think it's partly also the frame, like, I think that may be a piece of it for sure. And then the other thing is the framework. Like, even in fairly open online role-playing games, right? And I'm I'm thinking about, you know, the more sandbox style games. um, There's still a structure. There's -hmm. still quests that you're given. There's still things you can do. Now, you can get into some challenging interactions around, say, dungeons or raids or fights that you're supposed to do in a group. 
um, where if you're not stepping up and doing your part, you can get into challenges. Or if you don't know, like this always happened to me in WOW. Like I always took on healing roles and I'm actually, a, you know, I think of myself as a fairly good healer. Thank you very much. But, <laughs> but well, you made a career out of it. Right? True. <laughs> <laughs> but I am terrible as a wayfinder, like in life. And I remember reading wayfinding, and wayfinding, by the way, is about directions and maps and knowing where you are in, in, in space. And that is not a strength. Like I can get lost going through point A to point B and my kids routinely notice this about me. I'll like make a left turn. No, bad idea. You know, I'll, I'll get lost in familiar environments. So you can just imagine going into some kind of twisty turny environment in a game and, you know, um, healer would be nowhere to be found. People would die and it would be bad. I'd get kicked. And so, so there was a lot of mortification around that. So you can get into mortification in online spaces for sure but I do think a big piece of it is the structure that's mm -hmm. being provided and I'm responding within like there's fewer options and so I'm responding do I take this quest don't I take this quest do I so whereas it's so open at the table right and yeah. that's a big that can what we talk about in therapy as well is containment right creating a structure that feels safe. So at the table, how do you create something for people to hold on to? Mm. So that they either really know their character well, or they kind of have a sense of their spells or their options or the fight, like just to kind of narrow it down a little for them to start with. And then as the game progresses, you can open it way up, you know. Mm -hmm. But when you say kind of like, sky's the limit, do what you want, you know, kind of thing, it freaks people out especially if they're new to the game. Yeah. Oh yeah. Overwhelmed by choices is a, yeah. is a, is a good way of putting it. Um, with That's it, why you I didn't know, finish The Witcher 3. What's that? <laughs> That's why I didn't finish Witcher 3. See, I'm <laughs> Witcher 3. Because with, even within Witcher 3, if you think about it with like video game RPGs, like Mitra said, there's a framework. There's forced mm -hmm. choice. All right. Mm -hmm. There's only so many dialogue options. It's not like you can, you know, in Witcher 3, if Geralt is approached with something, you can't type in option C, here's my response, and the game responds appropriately. You just can't do that. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to, you know, more freeform varieties of play, whether it's LARPing, whether it's tabletop RPGs, whether it's um, even as something, because Tabletop RPGs are essentially improv, it, it, just mm -hmm. with a little bit of a different framework to it. It w To sort of take a semi-related tangent, it takes time to build up trust at the table to be mm -hmm. more open and take character chances. That's why I'm always an advocate of a good session zero. Mm -hmm. um, for you know, Just like in a therapy session, it helps develop that framework. But yeah, that being sort of overwhelmed by open-ended options is a thing that when I teach people how to do tabletop RPGs for the first time, the, fir the first time I ask them, you know, what do you do? They're like, um, <laughs> what can I do? Anything? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just make a choice like you would in real life. Uh, okay, I'm going to give you some options. And yeah. just start, f start from there until they get more into it and they figure out that they can just use their imagination. It's just not mm -hmm. something we do as an adult, as adults, just use our imaginations freely. Yeah, we might not really understand what our options are if we're not that familiar with the game or how to play 
right? Because there is this component of how to play, right? And how to play is actually quite culturally defined, you know? Mm. Um, and so I was just, uh, we'll get into that later in the conversation, of course, but I was thinking just about um, if I'm unfamiliar with a setting and I'm unfamiliar with the people, that session zero is pretty crucial. And the other piece that's really helpful about a session zero is actually consent. Where do we feel comfortable going? What kind yep. of material are we comfortable working with? What might actually be traumatic for us in some way? And, you know, I think people get a little bit lost in this idea of, the, of you know, people maybe being too sensitive or trigger warnings and, you know, all this kind of um, these kinds of conversations that we're starting to have more now in terms of, you know, people's comfort and safety. But nobody's going to have a good time at the table if someone isn't feeling comfortable or safe. It's just going to interfere with everyone's comfort and sense of safety. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, everybody. That's a really good point that everybody feeling safe and having that sense of trust at the table really benefits everyone else. Because yeah. I, I, I think we've all been there probably the well, those of us who have been playing tabletop role playing games for, you know, years, or in some cases, decades. Hmm. But um, <laughs> the, you know, when, when somebody is having a bad time at the table, there is this sort of nebulous at best nebulous discomfort that we that the other players don't know what to do with and creating that framework in that session zero because you know it's it, it, it's a very interesting thing to to know here are the limits of what i can do and here or, or here i don't know where the limits are they're very different scenarios and i just speaking for me i definitely like to know where my limits are Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I really do, because then I have, uh, the, again, the framework. I'm trying not to overuse that term, but it's a really crucial term. I, yeah. I have the framework within which I can explore. Yeah, okay. and that framework can for sure get broader with time. As people get more comfortable with each other and more familiar with each other's play style, then we can start to take more risks in the game. We cannot be as afraid of making mistakes. We also get to know, you know, the... GM or DM better, and that also helps in terms of figuring out how we're going to play. So, okay. So, what are some of the ways that play can be used as learning? Uh, because I know recently we talked uh, last week uh, a couple of ways that this was like I, I mentioned that um, I know someone who uh, is trans and they used tabletop RPGs as a way to explore that at the table with their friends in a safe setting. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, what, what are some ways that it, it's used like that? I've seen that all the time. I mean, back when I ran social skills groups for teenagers uh, using role-playing mm -hmm. games, I saw that all the time, gender exploration. Um, uh, you know, a number of the kids I worked with. Um, yeah, I mean, I it was super common to see that sort mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, but for myself... Um, I'm very, I've, I mentioned this every show I'm autistic and, um, not fitting in as a kid socially long before I had a diagnosis of autism, I was using games to essentially practice social skills. All the characters I played were, uh, were socially competent. They were charismatic. Mm -hmm. And after 10 years of playing characters like that, I, you know, I had this epiphany that if I could do that at the table, I could do that IRL. So 
um, it, it becomes a safe space in which not only to practice identity aspects, but also very specific skills. Absolutely. And, and it's a, because um, D&D and much gaming really can involve a form of improv, as we start to feel more comfortable, we can take risks with who we are, or we can be more comfortable with who we are. And you hear of people who are like really comfortable with their close friends, um, but, you know, shy, shy, mm-hmm. right? Feeling anxiety or social um, discomfort in other settings. But that ability to be slightly larger than life or a lot larger than life and have fun and try something new can really start to infuse your life outside of games. Um, and I think at one point I may have brought up the example of um, somebody I met in World of Warcraft who was just the life of the party in our guild. Um, but then outside of the guild, it turned out they were really struggling. But then as we talked more and as I, you know, as kind of they got that reflection from me and other people in the guild of how amazing they were and how much fun they were and how much liveliness and energy they brought to our group. And then they and I had specifically talked about, you know, how do you bring that into your life? Um, and so we can leverage the qualities that we discover in ourselves in play settings into our broader life and the way we are with people and that makes such a huge difference mm-hmm. so. yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know if I talked about the show I never talked with the to you but like one of the ways that I have the personality that I did was uh, I didn't I got into tabletop RPGs late I found this personality from playing Halo 2 online and just only having voice and audio to go off of so it just and because like these aren't the people I go to school with. I can just leave the party chat or whatever. I just tried out personalities and <laughs> to see what works. I'm, I do something. I'm like, okay, no, that didn't work. The entire party quit. <laughs> um, <laughs> You're basically describing my teen and my early twenties. My teen years and my early twenties, where I, the, I have a very dear friend in the game industry who's a very is an incredibly talented narrative designer, and she's autistic. And she and I mm-hmm. talk about the fact that the the reason she's so good at narrative design is that she and I think of dialogue in similar concepts. It's basically a flowchart to both of us. <laughs> that and you know, to, it, my teen years and my early twenties, it was kind of like yes, tried social response fifty four C, elated negative response, reevaluate and try with social response fifty five A. Okay. And I think it hits- sounds like an Excel sheet. <laughs> Basically, it's kind of is. It's an infographic. It's a flow chart in my head. I've just developed enough scripts over the years that it seems seamless. I think having multiple social responses available to try is key. Because mm-hmm. then, okay, I tried one thing and it didn't work and I still have a few other things to draw upon. And sometimes in play with like people we do feel safe and comfortable with, we can develop these different social responses and see how they go. And so, and if they've gone well, at least when we take it out to the world, if it doesn't go well, it's not quite as devastating, you know? And I think that's, that's really pretty important in terms of mm-hmm. how, to, how to do it. Um, I do think people tend to disown the parts of themselves. I uh, think they, they decide at some level that games aren't for them. And, you know, again, we can get into culture on that, but we will, so... 
Yeah, but what okay. are what are some reasons people might find it difficult to get into games from your perspective, Doctor B? Um, well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about my dad for a sec, um, and mm-hmm. I know he's comfortable with me saying this because he's you know my my dad is uh, to to put it perversely the PTSD poster child. And, uh, you know, he grew up with a horrible situation. I won't get into details about that because, you know, it's horrible and mm-hmm. it's his. Yeah. Um, but for him, the idea of unfettered, unstructured play is tremendously anxiety provoking because mm-hmm. it's unpredictable. And for mm-hmm. him, unpredictable is the same thing as dangerous. And so there can be a lot, you know, that's just one example, but there can be a lot of reasons, those sort of, we, we talked about being overwhelmed by open-ended options earlier. Well, depending on how people associate with those open-ended options, that can be incredibly anxiety provoking. It can be a sudden loss of any sort of anchor to social framework, cultural framework, anything like that, when you're suddenly thrown into, you know, this, this in the case of tabletop RPGs, a new world, a new culture. Mm-hmm. It's it, it can be incredibly jarring if you're just suddenly, boom, dropped into it. Yeah. Um, so what the one of the other parts on here that we were talking about uh, last time was the, uh, or not last time, but in, in our meeting, uh, was externalizing lessons, behaviors uh, from games in the outside world. And there's a couple bullet points to this that I was hoping that you w- guys would talk over, which is namely the, uh, the the terminology we talked about. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which which ones? We, we we dropped a lot of lot of terms. It was it, it, how do you say it? Schema? Is that it? Schema. Ah, yes. Schema. Yeah. Yeah. Schema. Sounds contagious. What? It it sounds kind of like the 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 thing from uh, uh, Elder Scrolls. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so so what is schema? Uh well, <laughs> I think that I'm not going to defer. Okay, Doctor B, I'll take it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's do it. do it, man. Do it. Okay, so schema is the narrative or story or framework that we create around a thing, right? And so we can either feel uh, we have a story about it in our heads, and it may date. It usually dates back to some previous experience that we may have, or some judgment or experience others have laid upon us around whatever it is. So, if we're thinking about games, for instance, we may have had the idea that games are somehow immature or infantile, for example, or uh, games and D and D. Those are for people who aren't us. Those are for people who are like nerds and we use maybe negative language to discuss that as opposed to positive language Um, and we have an idea that somehow that's for whatever reason people who aren't us so we have a negative story around it which interferes with then how we respond when people invite us to maybe take part in games or we feel a certain amount of shame and mortification maybe because gameplay didn't go well um, or I was told I didn't play well with others as a kid Right. Mm. So it's all of these stories that then kind of interfere with us being able to just play with some sense of freedom and security. So. Okay. Yeah. um, The beliefs, uh, the the beliefs we have about situations. uh, Let me let me back up for a moment. 
So when I was training, I was trained in a form of psychology uh, heavily called cognitive behavioral therapy. And part of the reason I absolutely love cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT is because it's really easy to explain to people mm -hmm. at its core that situations don't make us feel a certain way. It's pure input. And it's not just like situation A is makes emotion response happen. No, it's our beliefs about the situation that make the emotional output happen. Um, like Mitra and I might be faced with the same situation, but because we have different beliefs, different associations, different schema, not mm -hmm. not skooma as <laughs> up in the chat, but I will say Khajiit has wares if, <laughs> if you have coin. But the, um, the, the basically the beliefs and the narratives we have um, just they influence our emotional and our behavioral output with a given situation. And that's where play helps us develop our beliefs around things, maybe in our own sense of competence, like Mitra brought up, um, maybe a sense of cultural norms when kids are playing that's often to rehearse cultural norms. Um, mm -hmm. And how they do it in different cultures kind of reflects that. And so, it, you know, developing these beliefs, these schema, these narratives, it's super important. And games are, and play is a wonderful way to do that. Um, before I, I we, we do the, uh, the, the little mid-break to remind viewers of the disclaimer, uh, Beach, do you want to talk about what, what you've been alluding to here? Because is this a good point to talk about the, the cultural differences there? Oh, for sure. I think it's, uh, I mean, well, this is me, so it's never not a good point to talk about <laughs> culture. Um, but yeah, you know, if you grow up in a non-Western culture, say, or you come into Canada or the U.S. or the U.K. or wherever, you know, what we consider Euro-Western culture, um, and you haven't grown up either playing the same games or thinking of games as something that one can do as an adult, um, it can be really difficult to get into play. And when you have different cultural norms that you've grown up with, ideas of how the world works, it can also be difficult. So um, I came to Canada in my teens. Um, my first language was English. Um, I grew up reading Tolkien, you know. I, I kind of had a lot of the sort of particularly around fantasy and, um, and um not so much games, but particularly around fantasy literature and also films. So I got a lot of the cultural references, but there were many that I missed because I didn't really grow up a lot with TV. These things kind of infuse our game worlds. And so there's this sense of being out of step. And also when you don't know people terribly well and when you didn't kind of grow up with them and when you've had to switch schools a few times, these are all things that really interfere with your capacity to feel safe um, and to feel like you can enter into play. So because of how culturally driven the narratives in games can be, I think that um, it can be difficult for someone who may want to really engage um, to join in. Now, I will say that right now, because of the internet and globalization, you can be in almost any part of the world and you can actually still engage much more in kind mm -hmm. of gaming and game culture, which is fantastic. Um, but there are several things related to culture which also interfere in that ability to 
play, and that is one's home life, um, judgment and perceptions around games, um, capacity to be a kid. So some kids end up taking care of their parents or getting parentified, and this is actually true of immigrant parents, immigrant kids, I mean. With parents who've immigrated, um, they kids often end up do a fair amount of translating, particularly, and, and this is, of course, in the literal way, as in they're the native English speakers, and so that's a piece of it. But the other part is uh, just the way the world works. These kids often end up having to be super independent around how they uh, manage their lives outside of the home, because they're the ones who are more fluent in culture outside of the home. So this will both limit their time and energy in terms of gameplay, and this will also limit, because they've kind of had to grow up a little too quickly, this may also make it different to get in, difficult to get into play. Uh, I'm going to so. be showing that everything you just said to my dad, because that was him. Glad to uh, they, help. You know, because, because of the acculturation <laughs> yeah. uh, issues yeah. at the time when my grandparents immigrated from Italy, um, mm. they, there was a lot of tension between um, them speaking their native language and because i mean at the in the early to mid 20th century in the united states italians and uh, italians were hated yeah. uh so uh yeah you're, you're describing my dad yeah yeah and to bring actually racism into it that's big in the sense that um if i feel that this is a very white space or a very privileged space or a very male space, you know, I probably am not going to feel terribly safe to uh, express myself um, and to sit down at the gaming table, right? So if I don't feel that sense of representation for whatever mm -hmm. reason, that really interferes with feeling safe to play. Well, it's another reason session zero is very important for that mm -hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, all right, let's take a quick break to remind viewers and listeners of our disclaimer. Uh, Champion Psychology is meant as education and entertainment. It is not a substitute for medical advice or professional counseling. Discussion of mental health topics will be primarily rooted in research and the personal experiences and self-disclosures of the hosts. While we can provide generalized education and possible mental health resources, we cannot offer any recommendations, advice, or opinions for any specific persons, cases, or situations. We provide these resources and links at our sole discretion but while uh, but have not necessarily vetted or reviewed any resource. We assume no liability for the use of this information or resources on these sites, and we encourage you to use your best judgment. So the the one of the other parts of this that we wanted to go into was the stages of play development, uh, which we have separated as solo play, parallel play, and cooperative play. So what what I I I think a couple of those are are <laughs> easy to to figure out but like overall what do they mean? This is those are those are some of the I think few terms that a lot of mental health professionals use that means exactly what you think it means. <laughs> it's, it's so it's awesome. <laughs> It's not code for anything. It's not like solo play <laughs> is based on some Phoenician root that means group. Uh, it, 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 it's it, it, the easiest form of play is just playing completely on your own. And mm -hmm. um, at least from a Western developmental model, because, I mean, we're talking like Piaget here. Um, and, you know, he was pretty rooted in Western European culture. Uh, 
that you know it's often the first to develop just playing on your own and then parallel play where you're playing you're doing your own thing but kind of next to each other and occasionally interacting with each other but you're not building something cooperatively which is that final stage um where you're doing something together for a shared purpose and for for some people uh you know certain forms of this are easier again i i'm autistic um I'm real good at parallel play. I am so good at parallel play because there are so many nuances and subtleties that I miss when it comes to cooperative play. I don't I don't know if e- either of you have ever seen that uh the Penny Arcade t-shirt where, you know, one person is standing astride another one who's got arrows in his back. It's a co-op and yeah. I'm winning. Yeah. Um I kind of feel like that sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I think I think that um, lots of people do parallel play in ways that they don't, you know, you wouldn't almost just commonly think of it as parallel play. But if you're sitting down with um, someone and, you know, you're each crafting your own thing or you're painting mm-hmm. minis together, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's while you're involved in the crafts, it's you're also being playful and engaging in a play state in some ways. And mm-hmm. yeah. You're not. And this can be so much easier. I mean, think of how, how frequently we all hated group projects in high school <laughs> or university. And it's like, you know, no, I'm going to do all the editing and the writing. Let's just face it now. Right. And so so co- uh, cooperative and shared play can be difficult because um, because there is this state of trust that has to uh, be present for it to go mm-hmm. well. And also that sense that this doesn't matter, right? Yeah. And, and and that's actually a difficult one to hold for people. It's the idea that, as you say, I'm winning, you know, in this game. But And, and right. there is this desire to win. Yeah. But when you're in a group, you kind of have to manage within yourself that desire to win with the desire to share the experience, with the desire to ensure no one's left behind, and mm-hmm. with the trust building in the gameplay, and with the ability to set myself aside for the group. So mm-hmm. that, you know, we do enough of that in life sometimes. And so some people yeah. are like, you know, I don't really feel like doing that. So you have to figure out how, particularly in tabletop games, to share the experience and make everyone feel good if you're the DM, but also for players to also allow for each person to have space at the table. So I, I, I'm going to bring up a, a game type that I don't think we uh, I talked about on the show, which is board games mm-hmm. um, and how like my group of friends realized at a certain point, like we hate competitive board games. Like we just as a group did not enjoy them. Cause like, even at the end, like the person that won was like, I don't feel good about that. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's just how my group of friends are. And so the cooperative ones, I, and I can't remember them right now. Cause I haven't gotten to play board games in quite a bit, but there, I know there's been a few that we've played that were ones where it wasn't, us versus each other it wasn't us versus the board it was us working together to do something that was a game and those were probably some of the most fun i had there like i I guess like in the end no i I think a good example of this is actually the the sherlock holmes consulting detective ones it's board game light because you're you're mostly reading out loud and everything Mm. which was not great for me Uh, (laughs) but um 
it, it the the it presents you as you are all uh, the 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 Sherlock's irregulars. I think that's what they're called, like the or the the orphans that were around the street. That like he'd be like, all right, go find out information about it. here here here's some money. Um, and so you're kind of going against Sherlock, but that's more of like this is an impossible way to play the game because Sherlock cheats. Um, so we're all working together. We're reading these clues. We they give you newspapers and stuff, and we're cooperatively working towards uh deciding you know what the how the crime happened and who the the person is and then at the end we all find out we're wrong because Sherlock figured it out on step 3 and we're on step 30 um <laughs> but it's like i i enjoyed those ones where we weren't working against each other we weren't stressing out because oh we got to we got to do this before the you know the, the we flip that card and then everything's terrible we're just working together to do something fun with a board game I enjoyed those the most. And there's a lot of really good cooperative, you know, given mm. I periodically teach clinicians and teachers how to use applied games. Um, I'm always on the lookout for cooperative uh, analog games because a lot of times mm -hmm. teachers and clinicians are more inclined to do analog games. Um, the Forbidden Island series I love. Yes. Oh, yeah, uh, those are fun. Forbidden Desert, Forbidden Island, mm -hmm. the for basically the Forbidden series. Um Got a Hanabi. Hanabi is an interesting one where mm. you have to try and collaboratively build a fireworks show based on the cards in your hands, but you can't see the cards in your hands. You can only see the cards in other people's hands because you hold them backwards. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's a you know I I always love recommending people go to their friendly local game store to get some suggestions for cooperative play because it it cooperative play games really do have a different vibe to them. Mm -hmm. I mean mm -hmm. I I joke about how many fist fights almost broke out in my twenties when we played Pretty Pretty Princess dress up game because <laughs> it did. Um, th that tiara <laughs> we 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 almost got in some fist fights over that tiara because <laughs> I am the prettiest princess. But you definitely the, but are. yeah, cooperative games just have a very different vibe, and I think if you're doing tabletop games like D and D, right, it is cooperative. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's the idea. In that, um, the problem with um, competitive games is that if people already don't feel so safe at the table you know, because they feel inexperienced or not as good, or maybe they've had bad experiences with cooperative game, uh, sorry, competitive games, um, then it can be really quite terrifying mm -hmm. to step into another competitive game. Um, and there's another piece that can come into it. Uh, for example, as an only child... <laughs> who was not particularly privileged in that role, you know, because of life experience. Um, I still found it really difficult with competitive games because I felt like the people in my life ought to be on my side. And this was really... <laughs> so I had to really work on my capacity to be a good I'm, loser, let's say I'm it. Sure, I'm not going to lie, as, as another only kid, well, growing up only kid, like, I, I understand that. <laughs> <laughs> I felt, so I took it very personally. <laughs> um, I'm way better about it now. I will say this, um, but I always I will say I also prefer good cooperative games because it's fun to work with people, and I think that's the best part. Like you're working on different skills when you're playing a competitive game. Maybe you are playing in the context of being part of a team, which is great um, because then you're actually getting the cooperative piece as well. But mm -hmm. there is something powerful about learning to lose and learning to feel comfortable losing and not taking losing so seriously because it's a game. 
right? Mm-hmm. And being able to hold that reality. It is a game. It really will be okay, you know, and you can try again. And that's great. Um, but when you play cooperatively, you're also learning more about your group, your team, mm-hmm. your people, um, their strengths, um, your strengths. Um, and it can feel a lot safer. So, Absolutely. Uh, I, I think... A little, a little bit part of this with like the competitive thing is why I'm bad at Magic: The Gathering. Because when I'm when I'm when I play that game and I well I have a, way too many cards up here, but anywho, they I enjoyed building a deck in that game, and when I would sit down and play against someone, I was looking to like for the experience of it, for like how long the game would go on. It's like, oh, we're seven turns in and now I did this and that changed everything up. And it was the experience of the game. And it took me, and I'm not kidding, years to realize the other person sitting across from me just wanted the game to be over as fast as possible. Mm. And I was like, oh, oh, I'm not playing... I'm not playing this for the same reason everyone else is. And that's kind of why I stopped playing because... I was there to kind of kind of do the parallel play, I guess, where I'm like, we're both playing this game, mm-hmm. but we're just, you know, we're just doing stuff at the table and and experiencing what are the cards that we have and the decks that we made. But the every but everyone else that I was playing against their whole goal. Well, actually, my my wife, she did, played the same way, where she was like, I just want to build up this army. I don't care what you're doing. I just want to build up this army. Um, and then when I got against people who were like, oh, this is a three turn deck, I'm like, that doesn't sound fun. So I, yeah. I I I I think that was I think that was some something I had there where I'm like I was looking for parallel play but it was a competitive play. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, player motivations is a it's an important area to con- it's an important thing to consider and I, I you know I'm going to bring it back to tabletop role playing games uh, for that. I mean that if you think about p- different player motivations, if you have a mismatch of that, that's where you start to get tension at the table. And mm. I, I'm, I, I love telling people there's no right way to play a tabletop role-playing game. There's no wrong way to play a tabletop role-playing game. But when you have mismatched player expectations, th- then you get tension at the table and frustration. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that's n- no judgment. It just may not be a good fit for everybody. There's nothing yeah. wrong with an all-murder hobo game. <laughs> but if you've only got one murder hobo and everybody else is there about the social cooperation and the exploration and all of that, yeah. it's going to create tension unless you find a way to uh, sort of resolve that. And once again, this is why I think a, a session zero is so important to sort mm-hmm. of sta- sort of establish those player motivations in a way that certain competitive games don't always do. I, I think... The way to say it would be something like there's no right or wrong way to play tabletop RPGs, but there is a right and wrong group for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Actually, uh, Dark Cyril put it really nicely in the chat. There's no wrong way to do it, but there are incompatible ways. Yes. Like sometimes it's a bad personality fit or whatever, and those player motivations become really important. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Um, uh, Do do either of you have anything uh, more on uh, types of players? Should we check out the chat? Yeah. All right. Looks like we're checking out chat. chat. Let's check out chat. (laughs) Mm. Uh, Hello, people. So let's see. 
Uh, we're doing this in order of appearance that uh, our wonderful mod Jay put a, in the text document. Star Chaser 43 says, anyone else remember Lauren saying that she would record reading the disclaimer? She must be really busy with other things. Or I've forgotten to reach out to her. <laughs> I even had her on difficulty class this week and we totally forgot to talk about that. <laughs> if, it, if it's Lauren reading it, I will expect some sort of soundtrack. I, oh. I, <laughs> I, That's a good idea. I would expect some sort of woodwind overture <laughs> well to be fair uh, uh star chaser says she must be really busy with things yeah like you know starting a new job <laughs> a little bit a little bit so happy to have her <laughs> same uh let's see star chaser 43 says uh can uh i can identify with not being a uh, wayfarer like mitra a family joke is when you tell star to go right be sure to tell him which right uh but <laughs> i found so many wonderful locations because of it i don't mind <laughs> that that was actually that was actually something that my my uh my grandfather and his sister had where like they would go on a road trip and I, he, he'd come back with stories of like his sister would be like, "All right, uh, take the take the right up there," but she meant two rights up ahead, and he thought it was the next right. So they just, I don't know why they took road trips. They just yelled at each other the whole time. Uh. Yeah, I, and I and one thing to add, so that's that's wayfinding, and um, there are studies to show that wayfinding is genetic. And I am mm. using this excuse for the rest of my life, <laughs> just to be clear. Some people are just innately better at it than others. <laughs> so and, what you're uh, saying is some of us are just born lost. <laughs> some of us like to wander. We're not exactly lost, to paraphrase Tolkien. Yeah. Um, but I will say that this little device is great because I now have my uh, map on it and it can tell me where to go and I can oh, yeah. zone out and just go left like it says and it even mm -hmm. has the arrow pointing which way that is and so it's oh, all yeah. good. <laughs> oh no, when I got my Apple Watch and it started sending those notifications, like it would like tap my wrist and be like, hey, you got a write-up and it. it would show me there. I'm just like, oh, thank God. I'm a 30-year-old man that still has to look at his hands and do this. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we all have I'm our no challenges. I no joke. We'll be playing Destiny with my friends, and I'm like, "All right, the enemy went right." <laughs> but which right? Is it this yeah. guy? Is it that? Yeah, Who yeah. the hell knows? Anyway, yeah. uh, let's see. Uh, uh, Elduin uh, says, uh, for those in long-term games, do you recommend revisiting a session zero, uh, uh, like uh, setting a periodic times? I'm actually going to, yeah, Dr. B is not in his head. I'm actually going to give a shout out to Justice Armin. If you do not follow him on Twitter, I highly recommend uh, going and following him right now. I believe it's just at Justice Armin. Um, and what he does is this brilliant thing where he sends out surveys to his players periodically through a campaign and they'll and he calls them check-ins and it's and they'll have things on there it's like hey how do you feel uh the story is developing how do you feel your character story de is developing are you comfortable with with what has happened so far so, and, and is just checking in with them to see how they're feeling not only about the game uh story but the game itself and their comfort in it uh, with everyone, and I, I, I love that. I, mm -hmm. The first time I saw that, that was a mind blowing moment. <laughs> it's, I, it's. Uh, this is where I actually think I, I thank my training in cognitive behavioral therapy uh, for my style as a DM, um, because within cognitive behavioral therapy, it's supposed to be a collaborative, empirical um, 
exploration. And so you check in with the other person all the time, get feedback on how the therapy sessions are going. And that made its way into my my D&D playing as well of like, yes, please fill out this form. And how's, you know, basically same thing like Justice does. It's mm -hmm. I do informal, in some cases, formal check ins as a way of revisiting that session zero mentality. Like it. Mm -hmm. Check-ins uh, are important. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, I love that. That's a great name. D&D <laughs> uh, helped a friend with anxiety problems. She used her character to do things and uh, talk in a way that she would never do in real life. And it prepped her uh, to, uh, for doing those talks in the future. And, yeah, that I, I know plenty of people that have done this. Um one of the things, uh, my, my co-host of Difficulty Class, Ali Deichman, she and I used to run games at a bookstore, and a lot of times it was kids. Uh, we you, Most of the time, it, it, the majority of it was uh, kids from either 9 to, like, 14. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, those kids would just be like, I'm just using this as an excuse to be a terrible person. And then Allie and I went, cool, let's introduce you to real-life consequences. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I hit this dude over the head with a chair. I'm like, the town guard has arrived. <laughs> but, they, but the thing is, like, I always appreciated the kids that... Like, I remember this one kid so specifically because he just absolutely blew me away because he, he showed up this shy, timid, like, textbook D&D &D nerd from the 80s. Like, he looked like he was ripped out of Stranger Things. And he sits down at the table, and he's all nervous. He's looking around and everything. And then as soon as we got into the game, just complete switch of personality. And he's like, I'm here. I'm, the, I'm loud, and I'm doing things, and I'm leading. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> well, and I, I loved that. Well, one of the things I, I'll I'll say to that, um, and I've seen I've seen this numerous times with the social skills groups that I used to run, um, and I'll I'll say it even from my own experience. Uh, again, being autistic, so normal social interactions are freaking weird, man. Mm -hmm. There there's so many unspoken rules. Mm -hmm. That, you know, even if somebody sits down and tries to tell you all the rules, they're going to miss some of the, the house rules that nobody really discusses. Whereas a game like Dungeons and Dragons or other tabletop RPGs, there's an established ag agreed upon social framework as well as a safety from real life consequences that allows that exploration in a way I can't I, I can't walk into my local store and you know start shouting at the sh start shouting shopkeep ice cream now and throw <laughs> coins at them it I just can't do it and it's so much fun to be able to do it somewhere yeah you know um I think these established upon rules in games that's what really helps in terms of play and also confidence because it also helps us um, examine this idea of the schemas, narratives, norms, stories that we tell about ourselves and culture and about how culture works, um, which is why it's so confusing for people when they move from one culture to another, because we have a lot of cultural literacy and fluency in one place, um, and then we move elsewhere and we just, you know, we may have lost that. We can move across from Eastern Canada to Western Canada. And as many of the people I've worked with know, that's a different world. Mm -hmm. Even though it's the same language, it's the same culture, it's the same media that we're consuming, and yet it's still different. 
So, yeah. yeah. Um, Dar- oh, this is, I, I, I'm going to mess this up, and I apologize now. Uh, Darogadia. I'm going to go with that. Darogadia. <laughs> uh, random question. Is uh, schema in the context of CBT going to be uh, the same as I learned schema going into uh, sign language interpretation, i.e. schema is your pr- uh, previous experience and knowledge that informs your reaction understanding of a situation? Yeah, I mean, sounds pretty, yeah. Sounds, I'll go with that. I, I, I can't, I don't know the sign language training, yeah. but based Maybe. on that definition, sounds sounds pretty reasonable. That sounds, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Dragon Girl uh, 81 says, uh, how does one uh, talk to a therapist about how tabletop RPGs have helped online friends, uh, have helped one's social interactions in real life? Uh, when they are th- uh, in- of the mindset that you cannot make real friends or experiences in a play space. Oh, God. Okay. I, you know, I get so tired of therapists who don't get it. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm really sorry that, you know, that's the experience you're having. Um, I think that talking to one's therapist about what has been helpful generally is an important thing. And, you know, countering. If you continually come up against um, their own biases, um, that's really tough because I would imagine it's tougher to feel safe in the therapeutic environment. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you're not responsible for your therapist's education and awareness. Yeah. What I will say on sort of an optimistic note is there seems mm. to be a growing number of especially early career mental health professionals who are yeah. embracing geek and gamer culture um, as a, a sort of subculture unto themselves. And um, it, it, when I look for a therapist, uh, which I recently have been because pandemic stresses, um, mm-hmm. it. I make sure to look for someone who isn't going to uh, demonize unreasonably the things that I love and bring me joy. Um, yeah, I, I try and look for someone who, who kind of understands things from my worldview. I view it as almost akin to cultural competence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think one thing to stress when you are speaking with a the therapist about this is... Um, This is what this experience, games, whatever it is that is your experience, this is why it's been important to me. And your therapist Mm -hmm. better be listening at that point. Yeah. Really. Because their job is to help you recognize the things in your life that you experience as resources. Because those are the things that are going to help bridge out to managing and coping with more challenging experiences. So one of my supervisors very early in my work, I was just starting to see clients under much supervision. And I think it was my second client at the time who played a lot of World of Warcraft. Um, And in some ways, this was taking away from his life experience, you know, with his with family and other people. But at the same time, it was also bringing a great deal. And so I remember chatting with um, my supervisor about this. And the first thing he said was, ask him about his character. And I want to tell you, my supervisor 
was probably nearly 70 at that point and had no experience with games, video games, as far as I could tell himself. Um, and in fact, I used to regularly help him fix his MacBook Pro. Um, so, <laughs> but, but here he was saying, hey, I notice this thing is important mm-hmm. and work with that. That is your leverage every time with people. Yep. So I put that out there. I, I'm genuinely surprised to hear that. I mean, I guess I shouldn't be, but like, I, I, I guess like my brain is, is like, okay, I can understand some therapists not understanding tabletop RPGs. That's still something that's like still coming to, you know, the main spotlight and everything for everybody to understand. But the the online friends not being real, that one that one kind of blows my mind uh, that, that there's still people that are thinking that. Like, I remember in high school with Halo 2, my grandfather did not, understand that uh, how that worked he's like those are not real friends so one day uh after school you know he'd always ask me how was school and i told him two stories about two friends and i said which one was the online friend Ooh, ooh, i love that <laughs> microphone drop <laughs> and after that he's just like okay well played <laughs> Um, yeah, that, that's, that's kind of surprising. Um, next one, uh, mom, uh, 23rds, uh, says animal crossing with friends equals parallel play. And I, from what you have been talking about, I think that is pretty accurate. Yes. And I will say I do a fair amount of that. So (laughs) (laughs) I will also say there are ways of, of it uh, sort of verging into cooperative. Like, oh yeah, absolutely. Like if you are there, there was a a time a little actually not long after the game came out last March, where um, oh I know what you're talking about. What's that? I think I know what you're talking about. Oh uh, <laughs> well, the we had a friend who had a birthday, and oh one of our friends who played the game said we're gonna get him a birthday present, and we're all going to contribute a part to it. And we're going to allow him to to we're going to give him the mech to put on his island. Nice. Yeah, it took a lot of gold. It um, but the but we all did that. We collaborated. We coordinated, and it became this community cooperative activity that we were participating in in order to help our friend have a really good birthday. We de- we to de- help decorate his island, and it um, it. it it was very much cooperative. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is way more wholesome than what I thought you were talking about. Because, like, it's still wholesome, but, like, how after the game came out with turnip prices, like, the fact that there were people on Twitter, yeah. like, freaking Elijah Wood was just going to people's <laughs> islands Beautiful. to buy, to, like, sell turnips. And it's like, that. that's amazing. Yeah. Um. But yeah, I, I, I do think that Animal Crossing is probably the closest to parallel play. And, like, Stardew Valley is kind of close in there, but I think that goes more into the cooperative because you all are working towards something in game that is like a checkbox to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, I I absolutely I love those games. Um, let's see, <laughs> uh, let's, uh, Bay Billy G underscore two thousand says, "How many arguments have happened over Monopoly?" Hundred percent. That is God. not. The, yeah. Do not. Do not bring that into a bad situation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't do business with your family. And Monopoly yeah. combines the worst of everything. Oh my goodness! I mean, isn't he's not he's not the 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 greatest of people to bring up on this show? But uh, the, I still love the Dane Cook joke. Where'd you get the pink twenties, Grandma? 
Uh, let's see. Um, I'm trying to. I, I see one that I, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Um, so Bakery Dragon asks if there are any thoughts on tips on when there is that disagreement with therapist about something being important or helpful. And they've had an experience so bad it felt like gaslighting. Um, okay, so bottom line, because I can't advise on specifics and I wouldn't want to, but bottom line is therapy is about the relationship. Your relationship with the therapist and the relationship needs to be a source of healing in your life. It needs to maybe mirror something that was missing in your life experience. And of course, it can be about just, you know, it can even be a little bit about, you know, getting the right push um, to try something new or to take risks. So um, when there's something that's important to you or not sitting right with you, with your therapist, and you're feeling less safe with them, the first thing to do is to talk to them about it. And that's, that's, it can be difficult to confront a therapist because they might seem like an authority figure, but they are working for you. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, they are working for you. Mm-hmm. And so they need to work for you and to support you and to help you see something more clearly. And if there's something they're seeing that you aren't great, but it needs to be expressed in a way that feels safe for you. So if something's coming up and you're feeling gaslit or blamed by your therapist, um, it's really important to address that. So, love it. Uh, I I think that is a uh, good place to stop today's discussion. Uh, Mitra, Doctor B, where can people find you on social media? So I'm at Mitra Jordan. Is it says so right there? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I'm also I have a website mitrajordan.com, so I'm pretty easy to find online and. There aren't a lot of Mitra Jordans around, as I often say, so it should be pretty easy. And uh, I can be, I mean, you know, I always say follow Take This Org on all the socials because that's Mm -hmm. where most of my work is being done. But if you want to follow me personally, there is my socials on the Twitters, (laughs) on the Instagram, though I'm very rarely on the Instagram. Um, for audio listeners, that is the Doctor B with an extra. E oh yeah, I suppose v. I could say that as well. The Doctor B, spell out Doctor. Doctor B. Uh, you can find me on Difficulty Class Podcast every Friday and Champions of Lore every Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Standard Time here on twitchtv games. And I am also on Twitter at the Trevor. There is an A hiding in there. Uh, <laughs> I would like to thank Jay for moderating in the chat. As always, you do a fantastic job, and literally would not be able to pull out all these questions without you. Uh, and thank you to Codename and Take This for giving us an opportunity to have these discussions. Uh, as a heads up for people that are live with us right now, Bardic Inspiration is happening in half hour early today so 12 30 pacific standard time uh, uh that will be going on jason will be making some amazing music as he always does so please uh hang out and join that because that's just uh, in under 30 minutes <laughs> if you're not uh live with us uh we'd love to see you here in the chat next week uh, again 11 a.m pacific standard time here on twitch.tv slash games on tuesday uh but uh until then take care of yourself